Hi everyone. Don't you just hate it when the video takes, you know, is an amazing presentation. You just think, wow, I wish I could say it that well. Um, he's actually, a, he's a great communicator, Carl Faze, if you haven't heard him, and um, produces fantastic resources for the body of Christ around the place. So um, that, that's been really helpful. Uh, before I get into the message, I just wanted to um, just cover a couple of things. First of all, I want to invite my lovely wife, Nikki, up because we want to talk about, first of all, what we're doing with the church at CFC South and also just to ask Nikki some questions about um, just what God's doing through her music as well. So, Nick, do you want to come up? And I was going to get you to put your hands together, but it's all right. The moment's passed. <laughs> all right. Yeah, just a little bit awkward, but that's fine. Um, we lean into awkward in our family. It's good. It makes everyone feel relaxed. Um, but first of all, it's just an absolute joy to be stepping out and sent out from our home church, the Christian Family Centre at Seton, to plant the church, uh, CFC South. And we are in the process of just having some pre-launch meetings. And we're going to be meeting fortnightly as a team. We're meeting at the moment at the Cove Civic Centre at Hallett Cove. And our plan, our strategy really at the moment is to meet with as many people as possible that aren't followers of Jesus, that aren't part of a church, and just to invite them to be part of what God's doing. That's it. And um, it's just been a thrill just to meet with people, have coffees with people, and just to kind of just discover that there's literally thousands of people in the south of Adelaide that even have faith, but they're not part of a church. And then there's people that used to have a faith, but they've become de church And then there's people that don't have faith, but they're hungry for community. They're hungry for meaning. They're hungry for something more than what they are living. And uh, just uh, we had a meeting last week and we had five non-Christians come along just to find out more about the church. And so it's just a, it was a joy to be able to share the gospel and realise that people are, I think we can sometimes forget that people are hungry for truth, beauty, meaning, hope, purpose. People are hungry. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what worldview you have. People are hungry for these things. And we as Christians should be in the business of providing answers for these most basic human questions. And so um, that's why are we planning a church? Because we want to reach people with the gospel. The south of Adelaide is one of the most unchurched areas of all of Adelaide. Approximately 44% of the city of Onkaparinga would identify as being having no religion. 44%. To, to compare that to the city of Sydney, 23% identifies having no religion. 23% in Sydney, far more high pro- uh, proportion of people go to church. In a community like this, a high proportion of people go to church. But in the city of Onkabringa, it's one of the most unchurched areas of all of Australia. And people don't realise that. Adelaide is the most secular city in all of Australia, outside of Hobart. Well, we don't really count them because that's Tasmania and that's not really part of Australia. Um, but, but, but Adelaide is the most significant, the, the, the most secular city, a major city in all of Australia. I don't know if you knew that, but it's true. And so we need lots of new churches. We need, to, 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 to turn that around, we need thousands of new churches in this city over the next 10, 20 years. And so we just invite you to pray for us, join us. We, we are, Nikki and I are just, we're hungry to meet with people that are friends and family of people in this church that they might live down south and they might not be part of a community of faith and they might not live close enough to this church to say this can be their home church. Hey, if they live close to here, invite them along here. We love this church. 
This is a fantastic church. Can I just say, I'm on the board of our CFC churches. I get to see the fact that the numbers of this church are up. The giving is significantly up. God is doing a new thing. And I just believe that over the next couple of years, God is going to do some incredible things in this church. We're cheering you guys on. We love you guys and uh, the team you've got here. So, but... So invite people here, but you know what, if you, if you know people down south and they're looking for a local church, hey, you know what, give, them, uh, give, them, give us their details and we'll meet up with them and just get to know them because we feel like people need to be part of a church in their local community where they can grow in their faith, discover Jesus, discover community. So that's why we're doing it. I could talk all day on that. But um, So it's a joy to do that with Nikki and a, a team of fantastic people that have been sent up by Seton. But all of our family centre churches, we, um, we, we give, a, levy, we give a, a, a portion of our contributions to the CFC Church Planting Fund. So even though this church is being sent out, we're being sent out by Seton, all of our family centre churches are participating in this church plant. So you guys, your giving is participating in us being able to launch this church. Isn't that exciting? The Hills Christian Family Centre is planting a church through your generosity. And so is Lefevre, and so is Hobart. And so I am so proud to be part of a church family, a family of churches that has a focus on local community, but also a focus on communities and cities and nations. And so thank you very much, CFC Church uh, at the Hills. I better stop, otherwise I'll just monopolise talking about the church. Um, So yeah, if you know anyone, just let us know. (laughs) Have I said that? All right. All right. Now, um, Nikki's going to play, after I finish um, speaking, I'm going to invite Nikki up to play some beautiful music. She's an amazing violinist, and um, she's put together this project called Sacred. And um, some of you have heard a little bit about it, but God's using it in incredible ways. And so, Nick, just share with us again, for those of us that haven't heard last time you were at the Hills, what's the big idea, the story of why did you put Sacred together? Thanks, babe. Thank you for having me, guys. It's really lovely to be here. It's uh, like a second home for us. We just love, we love you guys and you're a special church and your family, which is awesome. So it's amazing how you can be in a completely different building and um, different location and things can be different, but yet there's a heartbeat that's the same. So we just love being here. Um, and thanks also, David, for giving me the opportunity to share about Sacred. Um, it's amazing how... Sometimes God just whispers something in your heart and it can be completely out of the blue and not part of your plan and then that actually be something that he invites you into a completely new plan and purpose for your life that you were ever expecting and that has been my experience with Sacred. Um, I'm a classical violinist. I've been performing, doing very sort of highbrow concerts uh, for most of my life and for many years I just thought that the calling of my of my life was to bring beautiful music to people and I prayed and hoped that as I played these notes that people would feel a sense of the presence of God in my concerts and um, awesome, satisfying, amazing work and I loved it. And then um, I felt the whisper of God through circumstances. I was at a hospital bed um, of a beautiful dear gentleman that passed away and it was his last days before he, he was dying. He was dying. He was in, in a hospice. And I went and I played some hymns and just improvised, um, which improvising, um, which I call playing in the spirit, where I was just playing prayers over him. And it was such an impacting experience in my life where 
I felt such a tangible presence of God in the room and also everyone else that was in the room sensed that presence. And it was this deep peace that I left this experience just going, this is, this is how God wants it to be when someone's passing away. God wants them to be ready. He wants them to have a peace. They know where they're going. And even this gentleman, he, he was half praying and half speaking. It was like he had one foot in heaven and one foot on earth as he was crossing over. And um, the sad thing about that is it's really rare and a lot of people die in um, intense amount of grief and pain and, and, and fear um, without hope. And so out of that experience, I just felt like God whispered to me, you need to just record what you did there. Just make that music so that you can at least give it to other people and they can use it in that context. And so I did that. Um, We did it on a shoestring. (laughs) And I thought, oh, no one's going to listen to this. (laughs) It's pretty kind of, um, you know, the the whole heart behind it is it's a bit hard to explain. And I thought, oh, goodness, you know, how do I even explain? This is really for people that are dying. And and as Aussies, we don't like to talk about death very much. So... um, Yes, it was a very interesting one. So without any expectations of what would happen with the album, um, it's been something that's just really caught caught um, on fire. Um, I've been just amazed how God is using it. Certainly lots of people have been getting in contact with me, sharing really personal stories about how it's been used in the final days of people's lives. Um, and particularly with lots of people who aren't Christians who are just playing the music, having the music played for them and they're sensing that peace that I just think is the Holy Spirit. Um, there's been stories of people who have got children um, with special needs and also people who work in the industry of people with like um, significant special needs where they play the music and it helps to calm um, uh, meltdowns and sort of anxiety attacks. People with anxiety who play it in their car as they're going to work and it helps prepare them for the day. And then out of the blue, we got a, I got an email from a lovely chap called Peter Simmons. Some of you know who he is? Everyone knows who he is. And um, I didn't know anything about the work in Myanmar and I got this email from him and um, just reduced me to tears and he shared about how this music is having an impact in Myanmar of all places and in in a clinic um, for mothers who are having babies um, and how it's bringing a lot of peace and the mothers sort of just hang around and wait for the music. They just sit and listen to it. Um, They don't leave until it's finished and even... um, and even the music's being played in um, one of the refugee camps over there. And I think the majority of those people are um, Muslims. Um, I think they've got... It's just the, their stories um, that I, Peter has shared with me. And many of you are aware because I know that now I know that many of you have actually visited and uh, there's a real heart for Myanma in this church. Um, it's just been amazing to hear that, just this little offering, to be honest. It was just a whisper from God and I just felt, okay, I'll do it. And um, he's just using it in the most incredible way. So, I'm, yeah, it's a bit of it. Yeah. That's why I get her to speak, but she's better than me. Um, so the CD is available. I think there's a, f- there's a few that you've got available. And so, yeah, um, you can see Nick after the service. I sell them for $20 and that's also because I like to give a lot away. So, um, yeah, if I'm yeah, giving for everyone that pretty much gets purchased, I give them away in sort of communities for people that can't actually afford them. So, yeah, the $20, I've got um, cash or card facilities. So, yeah, if you are interested in purchasing one, that would be um, so lovely. Thank you. Why don't you put your hands together for my better half? 
So that segues nicely to equality. I'm not sure how, but we'll make it work. Um, so just a, a few things about equality. And that big picture that Carl Fays gave is so compelling that really the Christian gospel and the way it has shaped Western civilization has been so good uh, for societies and communities for 2,000 years. And the, the way that the Christian gospel has led to the flourishing of minorities and the equality of the sexes and races has been incredible. And so it's not just the, the resources we have in the Scriptures, it's also the resources of the early Christian communities and how they were shaped in unique ways that were radically different to the pagan communities and worldviews of the time. But I just thought it's very easy for us as Christians to say, oh yes, isn't it good? Isn't it good that we are people that are recipients of Western civilization, And isn't Christianity grand? Aren't we better than everyone else? And it's very easy when we talk about equality to stand at arm's length and say, isn't that good that we are the people that believe in equality? And we can almost become very pharisaical in our approach that we say, isn't it great that we don't have an issue with this problem? We don't have an issue with sexism. We don't have an issue with racism. Rhubarb, I say to that. Because you know what? Last time I checked, you and I, we don't have a, we don't have a problem with um, being discriminatory against people with disabilities. Let me tell you this. Every person in this room has great capacity for good and for evil and for self-deception. <laughs> and we can all fool ourselves into thinking we are Christians and we have a superior worldview to Muslims or atheists or any of this, but it's not true. If your heart has become unguarded and attitudes have crept in that you're not even aware of. And this is the stuff that Jesus was on about. This is the stuff that Jesus, He sliced through like a hot knife through butter saying, I know you think that you are being righteous, but you're missing the heart of what righteousness is all about. And He cut through in a way that exposed people. And so this morning, I don't mean to scare you, but I want to open us up, maybe not expose us, but open us up to the idea that God might want to speak to us about this area of equality. Treating people with dignity and respect, not being a favour of particular persons or type of people or demographic. You see, even in this country, in the 1960s, um, in the 1950s, um, Aboriginal people were not allowed to vote in this country. In this country, the closest time our nation has ever come to revival was in the 1950s after the Billy Graham Crusades. I mean, my, I remember my Bible college lecturer saying that he would walk down the streets and, uh, and people would be singing hymns down George Street in Sydney. How great thou art. I mean, they had a, a hundred, oh, what's the number? The largest ever crowd at the MCG was during the Billy Graham Crusade. And the SCG, it was the SCG in the Sydney showground. It was, I reckon it was a hundred and, oh, I should have researched this. I looked it up the other day. But I think it was like 160,000 people at the SCG and Sydney showgrounds. I mean, Australia was on the verge of revival. It was the high point of the Sunday school movement. In fact, just nearly every kid in Australia, even if the parents didn't go to church, they sent them to Sunday school. Sunday schools were booming. You could have a church of 50 people, but you'd have 200 in the Sunday school. I mean, it was amazing. But Aboriginal people couldn't vote. And if I showed you some of the published Christian views about the place of women in the family, you would think that it's come from a, a Muslim country. 
And so we can often think, wow, the glory days of Christendom, but we can neglect our own vulnerability to not treat people with equality. Are you with me? Some of you are nervous, I can tell. I believe that we just have to, we don't have to be ashamed of the fact that, like the fact that nearly everyone in this room is white. We don't have to walk around with shame the fact that we're white, but we have to be careful to realise that we have opportunities and we do have privileges in our society, a lot of us. In fact, some of us just are privileged to live in the nation of Australia and we should never take that for granted. We should never take our platforms and our privileges and our opportunities for granted. Talking to some African friends of mine that that went and saw um, Black Panther, and they were nearly in tears afterwards. They said it was amazing seeing a movie that everyone loves and it's full of like it's full of African people and African Americans. And it's amazing. It's a great movie for what it's worth. Has anyone seen it? Isn't it a ball? It's absolutely. I love it. And. And they just said, we never thought we'd see a superhero movie like this. And it's like, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just another movie. But they, they were emotional because they see with different, their, their experience is very different to mine. Um, oh, Wonder Woman was awesome last year. Love that movie. But it's so good that now when all the kids are complaining and arguing about superheroes, my daughter actually can say, oh, I want to be Wonder Woman. And funnily enough, her brothers don't fight her for that one. But a little bit closer to home. Have you ever walked through the shopping centre and then feel, felt utterly depressed because you compared yourself to all the beautiful people that you walked past? And you thought, oh, everyone's so skinny and everyone's so glamorous. Or if you go to a really nice area of Adelaide and you're walking down the beach or you see someone, if you're, you see someone in a bikini or you see someone in board shorts and they're buff, you know, like, and then I compare my body to theirs and then I'm like, this feel depressed. And the thing is, I can go home and I can feel utterly depressed by how unequal I am to that bodybuilder I just walked past. But do you know who I don't often notice? I don't often notice the people that are suffering with severe obesity. I don't think, wow, I'm so blessed and privileged and I have compassion for those people. I, I don't go home and thinking, aren't I so thankful that I don't have a severe disability? And, and I think this is what we do as human beings, particularly in those of us that have got pretty good lives. We compare ourselves to other people all the time and we're always thinking, I want more, I want more, I want more. I want more equality. But we look around and we neglect the people. And do you know, the, there's one thing that's worse than discrimination. It's for people to be What's the word? Invisible. Huh. So if you discriminate against someone, that's bad. But what if you don't even notice people? What if you walk past people from minority groups? What if you walk past people with disabilities? What if you walk past people that are going through real, that people with severe mental health issues? And if we just walk past these people, what happens is I feel like we miss some of the radical call to equality that I think Jesus would have for us. The early Christians, oh, I could say lots of things about this. Uh, this is by a sociologist called Rodney Stark, who's the foremost expert on the way the early Christian communities turned the world upside down. Rodney Stark is not an evangelical Christian. In fact, I think he's an agnostic. This is what he writes. Basically, Christianity turned the world of social services upside down. Christians were their brother's keepers. At the end of the second century, Tertullian wrote that while pagan 
temples spent their donations on feasts and drinking bouts. Christians spent theirs, their money, to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls destitute by means and of parents and of persons confined to the house. What a heritage we have as the church. How did the church rise in the empire? It rose through looking after orphans and the elderly and those that were confined to the houses. Similarly, in, in, uh, Stark goes on to say, in a letter to the Bishop of Antioch in 251, the Bishop of Rome mentioned that more than 1,500 widows and distressed persons were in the care of his congregation. What a testimony. In my parish, there are 1,500 widows that we are looking after. And you see, when we read in, in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul says, hey, I, I don't want widows to remarry, this is a radical idea. Because what he's saying to the widows is, you do not have to remarry another man for your financial security. He is saying that you, as part of the people of God, you will not be relying upon a man ever again. It is a radical call. And do you know what else he's saying? There were women of wealth and women of means that in that society, what would happen is if their husband died, they were forced to remarry. And when they remarried, even if they remarried a poor man, they would lose their wealth and that would shift to her husband. Did you know that? And there was one of the, one of the uh, leaders of the community, what was his name? Uh, Augustus would fine widows if they failed to marry within two years. Huh. So you're a widow and you've got wealth, but you would get fined if you did not marry within two years. This was the system and the Christians came along and said, if you are in Christ, you do not have to rely upon men anymore. You are part of our community and we will look after you. And what happened was those widows were women on fire and they did the work of the ministry and they looked after the orphans and they did incredible things and set up hospices. And that's what turned the world upside down. It was amazing. What a heritage we have. And it's because the first Christians embraced the radical call of Jesus. Not a comfortable call. But this came out of an Old Testament worldview. And it came out of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, this idea of equality. Let's have a look. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Um, God says at the end of the creation story, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And so there's this sense that our full humanity is made in the image of God, male and female. There's a plurality to humanity that we are not called to be an island, that we are not, that there's a sense that yes, you're fully human on your own, but we also express our humanity and community and we are made in the image of a God who is Father, Son and Spirit. And out of love, out of that, what St. Augustine said was a community of love or a, or a relationship of love, God, the loving God, God who is love, created in His image with the capacity to give and receive love in community and to give and receive love to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's an amazing picture. But this idea, um, other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts 
would record God create the gods, not God, the gods creating human beings to be their slaves. And there's also other accounts of human beings being created that God would, the gods would laugh at them because that was a, a virtue in that era. That, that God would create you to laugh at you, that God would create you to be a slave. And here we have a, a, a counter-narrative saying that you will be made in the image of God, that when you see humanity, there's something of God deposited in humanity. It is amazing. The dignity of the human being. Why do human beings have dignity? Because God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's have a look at this scripture in Psalm 139. And as a youth pastor, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a youth pastor, this is the scripture I, I, know, I know the whole psalm. I memorised it when I was a teenager. And I have spoken this over many young girls particularly, but also over many young boys because we need to understand that we are not defined by what we produce, that there's something in us intrinsic, fundamental to us, that God says, this is who you are even when you're in your mother's womb. You have dignity, you have worth and every human being needs to know this. And let me tell you, Christian Family Centre Hills, it's not just little teenage girls that need to hear it. You need to know this because, and, and people in your community need to know this. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. So the Christian should be able to say, God, when I look at myself, oh, I see everything I don't like, but your works are wonderful. You have made me fearfully and wonderfully. I know that for well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This means that whether you are brilliant, whether you're powerful, whether you're wealthy or poor or disabled, or unable to contribute in certain ways, you are of equal worth to God and you are fearfully and wonderfully made and He has purposefully put you on this planet. This is really important for us to know because I think that when we have a revelation of our own value outside of what we can produce, we realise that there's nothing better or worse about us than the person next to us and that they are valued and special and treasured by God. Let's look at this scripture. This is a really key one. Galatians 3, 26, 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Galatians 3, 26, 29. You see, sometimes we as Christians, we can get very reactive to the culture. And there's a lot of talk in our culture about gender equality and racial equality. And, and I think sometimes we as Christians need to realise that the, the Bible doesn't use a lot of equality language. It, it mentions equality a couple of times in the New Testament, but not in particularly significant ways. But the Bible has a counter, like a, a third way or, or a different way of looking at things. And, and the New Testament is less concerned with equality and more concerned with oneness. Oneness. And that's what we have here. You see, imagine if I 
I got a couple up here and I said, is there equality in your marriage? And then I asked if they've got children. I said, all right, well, you tell me. Tell me who's the boss in your marriage. And then, like, if it was my kids, they'd say, mum. Mum is the boss. Definitely. And, and, and if I was asked my kids, who does the most work in our, out of my wife and I? And they would say, definitely, mum. So, like, if, you, if the goal of marriage is equality, 50-50, then I'm in a lot of trouble. And so is half of this room. I won't say which half. I'm not being stereotypical. But, but get this. The goal of marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. It, it, it's that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so we need to die to ourselves. And we say, till death do us part, I'm going to give to that person. Even if they fall out of love with me and I fall out of love with them, I'm going to commit to them because God has committed to me. This is a radical idea. It's a radical idea. And in any relationship, there are going to be seasons when one person has to give 70 to 80% and other person can only give 20 to 30%. Now, if it stays like that forever, that can be problematic. But there are seasons where it can't be 50-50. Are you with me? And so the, the New Testament doesn't speak about um, oh, you know, well, no, no, I did the dishes last night and I took the kids to school yesterday. So, so to have fair equality, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't, relationships don't work like that, but we have to have a profound revelation of who we are in relationship to each other. And the, the radical paradigm in Christ is that we are one. We are one. Oneness is even more profound than equality because it deals with the heart. If someone is pleading for their rights and I begrudgingly give them their rights, okay, I will begrudgingly give you a right. That is not as profound as saying you and I are one and connected and inseparable. We share a brotherhood and a sisterhood. It's, it's, like, the, it's, it's like the identity shapes rights. If, if, if we just talk about rights in relationships, it's important. But I think even more important is the attitude of our heart and what we believe at a fundamental level about identity. You see, if someone gets discovered like the princess, Di- is it the princess diaries where she realizes that she's a princess? See, when you discover that you have a royal identity, it changes the rights and the way you do relationship. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one. Now get this. Is there male and female? Okay, yeah. Is there slaves and masters in the world today? Yes. So this is a reality. Jesus did not abolish the categories. They're still in our society. And I'm so thankful that because of the gospel, wherever the Christian gospel goes, Things, institutions like slavery are dissolved and abolished. It's a fruit of the gospel. But these categories do not define the fact that we are one. We are one in Christ. It's not just about rights. It's about a fundamental identity. And if we believe that people in our society that are overlooked, forgotten, isolated, they have dignity, they have purpose, that they are our brothers and sisters. They might look different. They might smell different. We might have nothing in common. But until we can realise that they are our brother and sister and we need to give them the same dignity that God has given us, 
I think there's still going to be a lot of problems in our society in the area of equality. I'm going to finish with um, an amazing story that's really challenged me. Can I just say, um, my, my son, Josiah, he's a beautiful boy. He, when Pastor David was talking about baptism before, he got a bit excited and decided to baptise himself in the front row. And uh, in the process, baptised his pants and a chair. It was very exciting. I'm sure it was very distracting for the, for the worship leaders. Um, uh, by the way, that, that item, uh, Hannah and Jess, that was beautiful. That just, those harmonies, beautiful. Thank you very much. But, baptism, yes, Josiah, oh yeah. So, um, Josiah a few years ago was diagnosed uh, with having autism. And it's amazing that when something happens to your family and it becomes personalised, all of a sudden you become aware of a whole new world you didn't realise existed. We're connected with autism support communities on Facebook, wherever I go. I see kids on the spectrum. I see adults on the spectrum. And I wonder, were they always there? Or was I blind to them? Actually makes me emotional thinking about it. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in our own rights, so caught up in what we don't have that we can walk past beautiful, precious people in our community. And we just look past them. What is the way of Jesus for us as a church? What is the way of Jesus for you as a church going forward in this area of equality? Let's look at this, this uh, passage in Luke 14. I'll set the scene. Jesus is sitting down with some Pharisees. And he's kind of talking to them about healing on the Sabbath and kind of just some sticking points where they're trying to stop him from doing the work of the kingdom. And then they're kind of having a theological debate about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus, his heart is for people, not just for, he's not a legalist. He keeps the law, but he's about people. And and then the Pharisees sit down and he just observes. I, I just love Jesus. You can imagine he was just standing there. And he's watching, okay, very interesting. Yep, you loudmouth. Yep, no surprise you're sitting at the head of the table. And yep, wealthy dude. Yep, you're sitting there. And yep, um, humble woman. Yep, no surprise you're at the bottom of the table. And he just observes and he basically just tells them a little kind of object lesson about how awkward it would be if you sat next at the head of the table and then you had to get moved because there was someone more important than you that had to be there. And so he just kind of exposes the attitudes of the room. And then he says, let me tell you a story. And he tells them a story. And uh, about seating arrangements. But seating arrangements say a lot about what you think. Let's just pick up the story in verse 12. This is after he told the story about the seating arrangements and having to be moved. Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich (laughs) neighbours. I like that. He's specific. If you do, da-da-da-da. Okay, so get this. 
When you have a dinner party, don't invite your family, don't invite your close friends, and if you can invite your neighbours, don't invite the rich ones, or else, da 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 da, they may invite you to their house. Shock, horror. Because that's why most of us do nice things to people, because we want to give and we want to get in return. And we want to invite our rich friends because they might just, I don't know, they might leave some money on the fridge on their way out. Or they might bring a really nice bottle of wine over. Or You know, I mean, and, and we invite people that are like us. We invite our friends and our family because it makes us feel good. And then they invite us and we feel good. And it just feels like we're living in this utopia. And Jesus says, that is bad. Because you'll get repaid in this life. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's talking to a group of some Pharisees and they believe in the resurrection. They believe that there is this possibility of physical resurrection. And he is saying you are living in such a way that you don't believe in the resurrection. You are living in such a way that it's all about here and now and pleasure and comfort and happiness, but you're not living for anything bigger than that. And he said, if all you live for in the blessings of this life, then that is not a blessing. You will miss out on the full blessings of eternity and what I have for you and what I have through you. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Think about people in our community that don't have equality. Think about people in our community that are overlooked. This is my challenge to me and to you. This is an area that our family has been wrestling with and we're better than what we used to be, but we've got a long way to go. This is what we want to be like as a church, CFC South. This is what I know this church wants to be like. My challenge for you is this, hospitality. If you were to line up a list of your dinners for the last month, Everyone that you dined with. How many people have you dined with that weren't family or close friends? I'm willing to bet for a lot of us, no one outside of close friends and family. And look, I think Jesus, Jesus does eat with his friends, last time I checked. But he's not exclusive, he's not caught up, he's not defined by his relationship with his friends alone. We have to create space. Let's not be too metaphoric here. We have to create space at our table for people that aren't our close friends. We have to create, if we're couples, we have to create space at our table for single people. We have to create space in our lives for people with disabilities or people that have different levels of functionality in a whole range of levels. We have to create space for people. If we don't, who's going to do that? We have to hear people's stories. Hospitality is key. Hospitality and sharing the gospel and sharing the love of God are like peas and carrots. They just go beautifully together. Jesus provides the pattern. Hospitality, number one, opportunity in this area of equality. What opportunity can you open up for someone else? This is a big one. I really felt this is for this church. Not just what opportunities do you have, but what opportunities do you have for other people. You know, we ever got a couple in our church at Seton that they've got a timeshare and they give. They, they knew Nikki and I couldn't afford a nice holiday um, a couple of years back. And so they gave their timeshare to us. 
They gave an opportunity to us because we couldn't afford it. They give their timeshare to people in our church that are unemployed, people on disability pensions. Isn't that a great sign of the kingdom of God? I wonder that that scripture in Hebrews 10, stir up ways to spur one, think up ways to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. It's creativity. It's saying, God, you've given me knowledge. You've given me wealth. You've given me a platform. What am I going to use that for to open opportunities for other people? When was the last time you offered to pay for someone else to go to a conference? That's going to help them because you know they can't afford it. When was the last time you offered to help a student, a poor student? When was the last time you offered to help a pensioner? When was the last time that you used your connections to get a job interview for someone? Are you with me? This is confrontational stuff. I'm enjoying it. I don't care if you're not. And then finally, I'm going to invite um, uh, Nikki up. Finally. We can't have true equality in our society through laws. Because there's a problem that goes deeper than laws and it's the human heart. And if we're just blaming the government for the things that they do wrong, we will never truly take on the burden of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the fact that we can literally help people in our community with the embracive, radical love of the gospel by sharing that with people. And I don't know how we can believe in equality, we can believe in oneness unless we actually invite people into a relationship with a God that pours His love into us and He says, this is who you are. This is how much I love you. I've done everything possible to be in relationship with you. I love you. I love you so much. If only you knew the Father's love for you. I mean, what love does to unlock issues in our life, what love does, what grace does to unlock the slaveries that we find ourselves in. And if we're always looking to people and systems and governments, they're all important. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has been used for 2,000 years to set the captives free. And even some people here, you just need to know that you are equal with your brothers and sisters in God's sight. But even more profound than that, God the Father, He reaches out in His loving arms and He says, you belong. You're one with me in Christ. Why don't we stand to our feet and close our eyes? Just as Nikki plays, I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet and maybe just open your hands. Just open your hands as a sign of surrender. You might not be a religious person, that's okay. It's just a sign of openness. Jesus. God in the flesh who dwelt amongst us. He showed us the way to treat people with dignity and respect. But that came because we can do that because He looks at us. He looks beyond our failure. He looks beyond our shame. And He looks us in the eye and He shows us everything we ever did. He knows us. The Father's arms. God the Father through Jesus has wrapped His arms around you. And He's saying, you belong. You have dignity, you have worth. You are not defined by your mental illness. You are not defined by your disability. You are not defined by the colour of your skin. And I'm going to set you free to show the radical love of Christ to people in your community that are often overlooked. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.
I just want you to imagine right now that there's a table and Jesus is sharing a feast with his friends. At this table, he has people that have betrayed him at this table. But he says, you can belong at my table anyway. He has people at this table that have let him down and have deceived him. And he says, you can belong. There's people at the table that feel sick with their sin and their unrighteousness. And he says, come to the table. There's a place for you here. I want you to think about the people in your life that are the most far from God. The people that they might feel like they're a million miles away from God. And I want you to imagine Jesus moving a chair back and saying, there is a place for you at this table. Oh God, I thank You for Jesus. I thank You that He has made a place for us. I thank You for His grace and His mercy in our lives. And if you're here and if you've never received, just as every eye is closed, if you have not received the love of God for you, if that that picture of a table that Jesus, the, the, the man who lived and died and rose again, imagine if He was here and He had a table place for you and He says, come and be with me. You belong in my presence. I have forgiven you. I have set you free by what I did on the cross. Just acknowledge that you need me. If you're here and you need to receive that, just say in your heart, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for making a way for there to be a place at the table for me. Thank you that I can belong to you as my Saviour. Thank you I can belong to God the Father and I am one with my brothers and sisters around this table I belong to the family of God hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord and if you're here just as every eyes closed if you're here and you God has spoken to you about this area of equality God has spoken to you about the area of hospitality God has spoken to you about the area of opportunity. God has spoken to you about sharing the good news with people that are marginalised and overlooked in your life, in your family. I just like, I'm not going to ask you to do anything radical. I'd like you to put your hand up and I'm just going to pray for you right now in your seat. Put your hand up nice and high. Yep, thank you. Anyone else? God's spoken to you. Thank you. Yep. There's a few hands up around the place. Father, help us to be people of hospitality. Help us to align our lives with the heart of Jesus. Help us to give opportunities for those from group people that don't have the opportunities we have. May we leverage our opportunities to help others. May we not just help people with practical works, but may we share with them the love of God that inspires our good works so that they may know that they are loved as well. Help us, empower us. We just know in advance that Your Spirit is going to give us the strength and the power to be able to do these things because it's for Your Kingdom and Your glory. It's not about us. It's about You and the way You love people. So thank You in advance for the things You're going to unlock in our lives, in our relationships and through this church. Lord, may this be a key that unlocks evangelism and mission in this church as people, not through programs, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, open their homes, open their lives to the possibilities of sharing the love of God to those people that are often overlooked. Thank You for this opportunity. Thank You for answered prayer. And we look forward to seeing what You're going to do in Jesus' Name. Amen. I'm going to hand over the